Hey, I'm Nathan, the online pastor at Parkview, and thanks for joining us for Parkview On The Go. No matter where you've been or what your story is, you belong here and we want to help you take a step toward God. If at any point along the way or even later this week, you feel like God is nudging you to move, to make a decision to live for him, to finally plug into a small group or to work on your relationship, we would love to help you. Just fill out the next steps form at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps and start a conversation with our team. Today, we're closing out our teaching series, Crazy Stupid Love. And, and by the way, if you missed any sermons along the way, or you want to go back and listen to one that you liked, you can find all of Parkview's content by going to parkviewchurch.com and then clicking the word watch at the top of your screen. But before we get started, I, I just want to say thank you to every person who supports the ministry of Parkview. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we should give cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Instead, we should practice generosity as an expression of our gratitude for what God has done in our lives. So if you don't already, I want to encourage you to join me in financially supporting Parkview's mission. To set up a recurring gift or to find more information, go to parkviewchurch.com give. Again, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the service. Worship with us together.
church, let's pray together today. God, we come. What else do we even need to say to lift up praise to your mighty name and who you are? Thank you for revealing who you are to us. And help us to lean on that and rely on that and know that when times get hard. And when times are great, that we come and celebrate you as your people and your church together. So we do that today. May this be an offering to you in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Forgive me a moment while I point out the elephant in the room. My mask is stuck on my in-ears. I haven't been up here in a while, and I certainly haven't been up here since the times of COVID. So it's a pretty mask, though. If you'd like to find where I got it from, come find me after service today. Well, hey, Pastor Tim's going to come up here in just a few minutes. And going to finish up Crazy Stupid Love with us, a series that we're in. But before he does that... The worship team, we have a song that we just want to share with you today. Uh, I was able to get away for an overnight this week, um, which is not a normal thing in the phase of life I'm in. And it's so good to get away and disconnect and breathe and be and pause, even if it's just for a short period of time. And if you're anything like me, busy life, got work, got two, one teenage, one almost teenage kid, things finally getting busy again. It's hard to do that regularly, let alone even every day I struggle with it. So we want to give you a gift right now of a couple of minutes to sit and to be in the presence of God. This song we hope can be a prayer for you right now. It's very simple. It just says, God, I really just want to know you more. So you can sit and listen. You can close your eyes, bow your head in prayer if you feel like that's a moment with you and God right now. In the Psalms, it simply says, be still and know that I am God. Let me know you're here. 
committed to this half the time. I want to let go, Jack. Snap out of it. What do you want? Are you kidding? I know what love is. I just don't want to be some dude on your arm. I should be royally ticked off at you. <laughs> you know, you are really destroying the groove up in here. Stop Calm down, crazy. What is this? Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. Welcome online. Welcome, New Linux. Welcome, Homer Glenn. Oh, man, it's so good to have some good weather and have you back. And um, let me just give you an update. Uh, for those of you who don't know, maybe you're just watching us for the first time online. We're, we're loving having you here. My wife had uh, brain surgery a couple of weeks ago. Um, she had uh, deep brain stimulation surgery, which means uh, she has a, a tremor. Uh, it's not Parkinson's. She's got a tremor. And uh, it's gotten really bad lately. I'll show you the video, the before and after here in just a second. And uh, so they put these two probes in her brain, and they're attached to a lead over here in her brain and a wire that goes down to a little pacemaker kind of device. And we went back up to Mayo and turned it on this week. And I, 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 let me just show you, this is the before video. of That's how much she shakes normally when she's trying to do something. Um, I mean, that's, it's pretty drastic. She can't hardly read her own writing at this point. Okay. So, um, so the device got turned on. You see the little thing over her. I know it's more than you want to know, but go ahead and go to the next one. Here's the next one. I'll show you. Here it is after they've got it turned on. You see just her finger is moving at that point. So that is really huge going in the right direction. And it is only at half the speed it's going to be at in the long run. So uh, they wouldn't let us turn it all the way up right away. Your brain has to get ready for it. Yeah, it, it's really cool. 
It's amazing technology. I mean, I call her Tony Stark now. It's, you know, it's just crazy. Um, they, you know, and, and so it's at half on her right hand. You see your fingers still shaking and some of that. It's only at half. So once we get slowly get to turn it back up, it's, uh, it's going to be amazing. So, um, you know, it just kind of goes together in the middle of a series on relationships um, that we had this stuff going on or her dad just passed away. A lot of crazy stuff in our life. Makes me understand how important it is to have have a wonderful wife and a good marriage, okay? And, and if you're just joining us, we're doing this RAM model. This is a chart we've been using for a few weeks to help us to understand how to have healthy and godly relationships. The relationship attachment model is developed by Christian author, therapist, and psychologist, Dr. John Van Epp. And uh, we've been learning that the natural progression of healthy relationships is this. You should get to know someone first, Right, and then you can get to rely on them and trust uh, trust them, and then you get to rely on them, and then you commit to them, and then you can touch them. Okay, and this touch thing just never stays up there the way that it's supposed to. Okay, uh, we kind of designed it that way because that's legit. That's what we're doing today. We finally got to touch. Okay, all you guys can say Amen. All right, B- because sometimes when we touch, the honesty's too much, and I have to close my eyes and hide. I want to hold you till I die, till we both break down and cry. I want to hold you till the fear in me subsides. Said no guy ever. (laughs) Sorry, young people. That was a very popular song by some weirdo named Dan Hill in the 70s, okay? Go look it up. Joking aside, there is life-giving power that happens in human touch, okay? And let me just back it up and talk about touch in general, all right? Obviously, some of these things are pre-COVID because we can't touch each other still, okay? But, but before COVID, I read that when a teacher pats a student on the back or touches them in a non-creepy way, okay, that student is three times more likely to speak up in class. So in other words, you know, if, if, you, if the teacher's like, hey, you know, I believe in you, that gives the kid the confidence to actually speak up who might not. There was a study done a few years back about waiters and, 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 and waitresses and servers and touching you. Here is, here is, here's what they found out. If you, um, if you don't have any touch, your, your tip is going to be about 11.5%. If you have a brief touch, it's going to be 15%. But if it starts to get a little longer, your tip goes down until it slides into a restraining order, okay? That's how this whole thing works. But isn't that fascinating? Just, just like putting your hand on somebody's shoulder, just acknowledging them is something, you know, that, that makes a difference, okay? And let's all just agree that our, our, our servers need 20% right now, okay? All you servers, I got your back. Come on, let's, let me, don't be cheap with the tips, okay? So, so families, what about families? Well, moms are the touchy ones, right? Yeah, of course, but dads contribute in ways that may not look meaningful, but really are, okay? When we are roughhousing, when we are tickling our kids, when we are running around and chasing them, when they're jumping off of something into your arms, that, that's touch. And my kids, my three daughters, we used, to, we used to go up after dinner. If it was cold outside, we couldn't be outside, and I was home. We'd go up after dinner, and we would wrestle on the waterbed. 
which is so amazingly stupid that we ever had a waterbed. That was like the worst idea ever invented. But we would go up and we would wrestle and we would play and we would do that. This is one of my favorite pictures of all time. It goes really fast, young parents. I'm just going to tell you. And, and yeah, we had a trampoline. All you orthopedic people, all you insurance people, <laughs> deal with it. It was really important. No net. You fall off and break your arm, you learn a lesson, okay? <laughs> Maybe I'm old, but, you know, and I still have it. It's still in my backyard. One of the legs is duct taped. I went out and took this picture today. Okay, I just want you to know. So, so listen to me, okay? This is the way that God wired us. Touch is life-giving. This is part of the reason that you've been feeling so blue and so much lonelier during this stupid virus. Because elbow bumps are not the same. And Jesus touched people. And, and, and we were commanded to, to, to touch Five times in the New Testament, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And that was cultural, but, but I can't wait to get back to handshakes and hugs around here and in life in general. And let me just say, Jesus knew there was life-giving power at, that happens in the human touch. That's why it's here, okay? So, but there's a second truth that I want you to take home with you today, and that is that there is a bond-building power in sexual touch. There are three things I want to break down from this to help you to understand what we're going to talk about today. Um, and, and the first one is this, okay? God says it's good. God said it's good. It is good because he created it. And everything God created was good. In matter of fact, he commanded it. Do you know that the first command we were given... God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. The, the very first command God gave us was, man, woman, go knock some boots. And God created it, and he commanded it, and it's not evil, okay? It's good. And the challenge I have, I know, as I talk about this, I know your kids are in here, and, and you're like, you know, what, what's going to happen? It's like the dad of the little girl whose, whose little girl came down one day and said, Daddy, where do we come from? And, you know, dad was like, I'm not sure I'm... I'm really ready for this, but he bit the bullet and he did the whole talk, you know, the birds and the bees. And afterwards, the little girl just looked at him with really big eyes and said, wow, Sally said they just come from New Jersey. <laughs> Obviously, I'll be careful, okay? But you need, you need to understand that God celebrates our sexuality. The Song of Solomon is a book in the Bible that celebrates our, our sexuality in a very poetic way. For instance, from the guy's point of view, okay, I will climb the palm. This is in the Bible. I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. I really love your peaches, want to shake your tree. That came right out of Song of Solomon. Do you see that? 
That's what happened. Listen to this. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, your mouth like the best wine. This is it, okay? How about the young woman? She says, let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. And then she says, let my lover come into the garden and taste its choice fruits. No commentary. You figure it out, okay? That's in the Bible. What I'm saying is that over and over again, the Bible celebrates the bond-building power of sexual touch. It's supposed to be there. It is good. And man, I really wish we could get past the stupid idea that Christians think that sex is bad. God invented it. God could have made us procreate in a boring way, but he didn't do it. So it's good. But... God says it has, it has its boundaries. Let me take a moment, and you're all expecting me to say this, I, I'm guessing. Let me take a moment and talk about chemically what happens in your brain when you engage in the touch, okay? When you engage in the sexual act, okay? There are three chemicals that are naturally going to flood your brain when this is going on. They are dopamine, vasopressin, and oxytocin. Those sound good? They are good. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that is considered to be the pleasure molecule, okay? And when your brain gets the dopamine, it produces larger amounts of, of it during sexual act, and it gives you a, a euphoric feeling, right? That's, that's good. We get that. And, and that, it's also the addiction molecule, okay? So ecstasy, that the, the illegal narcotic, it, it kind of mimics uh, dopamine. That's basically what it does. And what happens with dopamine is you want to have more. In a very natural way, when sex generates dopamine, research finds that in a loving relationship, it does not diminish, it continues to stay high. A and you're kind of hooked on that person, okay? Number two, vasopressin is a bonding chemical that reacts with testosterone. So that's mostly for the guys, and it has a bigger effect on the men than the women, but it's been called the monogamy molecule. Really fascinating. They did research on animals, and they took the, the, the animals that mated for life, and they took the vasopressin out, and they started becoming players, okay? And they put the vasopressin back in, and the animals were monogamous for life. I can't wait till the pharmaceutical companies figure out how to package vasopressin. That's going to be fascinating. And then you probably heard of oxytocin, right? Studies found that when women give birth, their brain has been flooded with eight to ten times the level, normal level of oxytocin. And as a result, she is in a state of bonding. So when they place a newborn, like they just did my youngest daughter, the one in the nerdy glasses on me on the trampoline, when they do, when they do that, that, that bonding happens because there's oxytocin that's being passed back and forth. And, and it's such an intense thing that it influences lower postpartum depression rates and increased positive interactions between the mother and child. And preemie mortality rate has dropped drastically now that we figured out that the best thing we could do with a newborn that's clinging on to life is not go hook it up to a bunch of machines, but lay it on its mom, literally. So if those are the three chemicals, what should that tell you about sleeping around? 
you are literally messing up your brain as well as your soul. Hebrews says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between the wife and the husband. New International Version says, keep the marriage bed pure. Although sex is good, it has boundaries and it needs to be guarded and it needs to be kept sacred. God's word is clear, guys, over and over and over again. This sexual expression is to happen in a God-honoring, covenant-committed lifetime arrangement. And I know people say, well, we're just hooking up. We're just friends with benefits. It's only physical. There's no emotional or spiritual connection. And and I'm just telling you, you're greatly underestimating the bond-building power of sexual touch. 1 Corinthians 6, in the message paraphrase, I love this. There is more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one. Let me illustrate it for you. Go back to third grade, okay? Chicago, it's January, seven degrees outside. Your teachers still sent you outside for recess because they're tired of you. So you put on your coats and your gloves and you go out and there's nothing to do except play tetherball, right? Uh, Tetherball with a already deflated ball that's already gonna kill your hands, but now that it's seven degrees outside, it's really gonna kill your hands. And you're out there playing tetherball and you're trying to hit it one way and somebody's trying to hit it the other way and finally the whistle you know, happens and, and you're finally gonna get to go in. But just before you go in, I say to you, hey, you see that metal, that metal pole? You've seen this movie. Go stick your tongue to it and leave it there for a second and then walk away. I triple dog dare you. So if you're stupid and you do it, what happens? This is the Christmas story movie, right? I'll tell you what will happen. You will leave part of yourself behind. This is why... Before you ever get to here, you need to get here and then here and then here and then here till death do us part in marriage. And then in God's plan, you're ready to move to the bond building power of touch. And it is good and it is important and it is essential in the marriage relationship. So here's the reality. Sex is good. It has boundaries. But here's where I want to land, okay? Um, More likely than not, I'll let you do it. The sexual dimension of marriage can always be better. Let me just stop here and acknowledge sexual abuse. Probably should have done it earlier, but I got to do it now, okay? If you, I mean, I, I could be, according to the stats, talking one in three women. If you are a person who's had sexual abuse in your life, please get help. Let us get you help. Probably you already are. But you've got to understand as I talk about this, there's, there's, there's a different level for you. And, and I really, we really want to help you in any way that we can. But even if you're not a person who's had abuse in your background, you're, you, there are seasons in life where it, this is just not as good as it ought to be. 
There's fatigue and it complicates intimacy. There's unresolved conflict that's going on. Even, you know, one way or the other, even the inevitable clashes of marriage that go unresolved that becomes detachment and distance and disconnected naturally follows. And if spouses pull away from each other, there's silence instead of the conversation. And all of a sudden you wake up and you realize, you know what? This isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. Additionally, some of you have watched so many Hollywood movies or even pornography about love and romance and sexuality that you have really unrealistic expectations, okay? You know, young people, I know what your idea is. You know, they're in the kitchen. They're, they're crashing dishes all over the floor, jumping on the table, pushing each other up against the wall. I just got to tell you, if, if I did that to my wife, not only would it not lead to sex, but I might break her Tony Stark device now, okay? So I got to be careful. So, so before, here's what, I, here's what I understand because I did this too. Before marriage, you assumed that there would never be any problem in this area. And it was always just going to be nonstop bow chicka wow wow in the bedroom. But what happens? I'll tell you what happens. You wake up the morning after your wedding and you're thinking, okay, let's go again. And you look over and she's laying there and her mouth's open at this really awkward position. And she's drooling a little bit. And she wears a retainer. I didn't know she had a retainer. And you stare at her for a while, and she looks a little different than she did last night. And she wakes up, and she wipes the sleep out of her eyes, and you kiss her like they do in all the movies, except she tastes like four-day-old roadkill. And you're like, wow, what's going on? Young people, I hope that someday you will remember this sermon when you get to this point. I heard a great stat the other day from a marriage podcast my wife and I listened to. I'll tell you about in a second. Tony and Elisa asked, do you know how many people it takes to create a romantic love scene in a movie? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, The Notebook or, you know, whatever, Jerry Maguire, whatever, whatever it is, you know. Okay, there's, there's two people and they're being romantic with each other. I guess there's a couple of cameramen, right? You can't even believe it. There are 300 people helping make that love scene. There are, you know, all the cameras, all the lighting, all the, you know, the hair, the makeup, somebody doing breast spray. I think that's key grip. I don't know what key grip does. I always wondered. I think it's breast spray. But here's, here's the deal, okay? You've got to be realistic about marriage. You're not shooting for the 4th of July every time you connect sexually, all right? Sometimes it's just Groundhog Day and Poxitani Phil is not seeing his shadow, if you know what I mean. And, and I'm not a sexpert, but my wife, would tell you that we have learned some things and, and done some things that have improved the sexual dimension of our marriage. I don't, if that grosses you out, I don't care. Here's where I go. Number one, build an atmosphere of affection, okay? Let me say that this includes non-sexual touching. I know that guys thought I just had an oxymoron right there, this sounds like jumbo shrimp. What, what is that? Non-sexual touching. No, listen to me, guys. When a woman says, I just want to be held, do you know what that means? In the original Greek language, it means, I just want to be held. Can I get an amen from you, ladies? Okay. Actually, 
What, that, that's not a cue to say, well, it's time to make your move. That's not what that is, okay? Actually, you shouldn't have to say it. It should be happening all the time. Many of you are like the husband and wife who are lying in bed together, and she feels his hand rubbing over her shoulder. She says, oh, that feels good. And his hand moves down her back, and she, he says, she says, oh, honey, I really like that. feels wonderful. And he, his hand moves around, and, and he's moving to her leg. And she says, oh, honey, don't stop. But he stops. And she said, why did you stop? And he said, because I found the remote control. <laughs> that, that's how it goes in a lot of marriages after a while if you don't do something about it. Now, I want you to look at this screen, and I want, you to, I want to tell you what it represents, okay? Ten. Ten. One relationship expert found that years of research and experience in helping couples improve their relationships, it takes 10 meaningful touches a day to keep the couple close and both of them in emotionally healthy state in a relationship, 10 times a day. Might be a hug, might be a touch, might be a, a, you know, an arm on arm, holding hands is very important. So I just ask you, what's your number? I mean, Denise and I have been working on this. We're going to up our game. What's your number? To be honest with you, I could do better at this one. So what am I saying? What am I saying? If If I want the touch slide to go up in my marriage, I should touch more? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, you with me? Number two, you increase the commitment to your communication. We are empty nesters now. It is super easy, but it wasn't always that way, and we still have to guard it because we can get lazy. Proverbs 13 says, reliable communication permits progress. Okay? You want progress? Yes, we always want progress. What Dr. Van Epp, the man behind the RAM model, says, the number one conflict in marriage around the touch area is about frequency. It's about frequency, okay? One of you probably wants it more than the other person. Um, Used to love that show, Mad About You, with Paul Reiser and and Helen Hunt. You remember that show? And they lived in New York. This is my favorite line out of TV everywhere. They lived in New York, and they were arguing one day on this sitcom, and he says, you know, sex, it's like Canada. It's so close, but we never go there. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. So how do you have these talks about all of these things? You have reliable communication, and I'm going to give you some exercises to help you with this along the way, okay? You want the bedroom to be better? You build an atmosphere of affection. You increase communication. And going back to our theme throughout this whole thing, you maintain an attitude of giving. A mutual, fulfilling sex life does not begin in the bedroom. It begins in your heart. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says, and again, the message paraphrase, but here's what he says. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Now, now, if you're reading that, if you're hearing that, and you're online, you're like, I'm going to write that down. Or if you're sitting next to your spouse and you're like, did you hear that? You need to write that down. Then you're missing the point. Marriage is a decision to serve the other. Okay? And let me tell you something. 
that I have permission to share. I want you to know that before I do. And maybe it's TMI, but I've got to be transparent with you and I have to be encouraging to you in this area because it's been, it's real, been really important when people were encouraging to me in this area. My wife and I are in the best season of this we've ever been in. And I know it doesn't make sense. We're old. We've got six grandkids, for crying out loud. We should be sipping lemonade in our rocking chairs on the front porch, crocheting. Okay? I get that. Well, how, how is that possible, Tim? Did you find the libido setting on her new little Tony Stark device? No. Not yet. Is it medication? Where can I get some? No, actually, the truth is, and this is total transparency, we're both on anti-anxiety medication, which gives negative side effects in that department, and we're still in the best season ever. I'll tell you why it is. It's because we decided to never stop growing in our marriage, and this keeps getting better as all the other stuff keeps getting better. And as all the other stuff keeps getting better, this gets better. That's just how it works. And we've had a very satisfying relationship, but we ran across a podcast called One Extraordinary Marriage. Guys, you're going to want to take a picture of this. One Extraordinary Marriage, okay? These are Christian people. I know that doesn't look like a Christian logo, but these are Christian people, very Christian people, Tony and Elisa DiLorenzo, and they have a podcast, and here's their story. They had been married for like 10 years, and they had young kids and kind of a non-existent sex life at that point. They just weren't in a good place, and they were challenged by another Christian author or a pastor. I don't remember how the story went, to take a 40-day sex challenge. What? Yeah, like every day for 40 days. That might take Lent to a whole new level for you, huh? And they talk very openly and intimately about their marriage and and their sex life on this podcast because sex is good. It was invented by God. And so we've been listening to it, and we decided to up our game also. And listen, we've been to three different marriage counselors along the way. We've been to a a place for week-long therapy with a psychologist twice. We've read every book out there. Some of the best marriage counselors in the country are my personal friends. And all of those are important, and I can't recommend counseling high enough. But what we have found is that while we are working on this, all this stuff goes better. And while we're working on this, this goes better. And if you're working on all of them, together, it really makes a difference. So from one extraordinary marriage, here are the questions for you. Six pillars of intimacy. First one is emotional. Well, do we have a problem with that? Well, do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Do you, are, is it hard to take the mask off at home? Are your conversations short? Then maybe you do. How about the physical? Like not the sexual, but the physical. Is somebody always trying to touch the other person or is somebody avoiding trying to touch the other person? Are you just roommates? How about financial? This is something I, we, I didn't even know she felt this way. I take care of things, and she knows I take care of things, and she trusts me. But I've been sitting down lately and going through everything to show her where all the accounts are and giving her the passwords and making sure that she knows everything, and that's making her feel more secure and have more financial intimacy. How about spiritual? Not discussing spiritual matters together. If you have difficulty praying together, concern over your faith practices. Okay, that one makes great sense. Recreational is another one that we're not great at. 
Um, if you can't remember the last time you had fun together, if your dates always look the same, if one spouse always ends up planning everything, maybe you need to work on this, and we're working on some things that we can do together just for fun. And obviously, sexual. You can't remember the last time it was. feels like another thing on the to-do list. You struggle bringing it up. Those are the pillars of an extraordinary marriage. And what I'm saying, guys, is that relationships are organisms. They are either growing or they are dying. And please remember the theme verse, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. I, uh, I've had this story. This is one of those old stories I've used before. I've had it around for a long time. But it took on new meaning to me while they were drilling a hole in three holes in my wife's head because I didn't know how it was all going to come out. Richard Seltzer writes it. He's a doctor. He said, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in a palsy clownish look, a tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles in her mouth have been severed. She'll be like this from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh, I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut a little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth I have created, who gaze and touch each other so generously, so greedily. The young woman speaks, will my, will my mouth always be this way? this way? Yes, I say, it will. It's because we had to cut the nerve. She nods and is silent, but the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I'm so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to lead us into communion. Lord, thank you for the examples of the people who've gone before us that lived lives that were not easy and yet stuck it out, continued to show us what it looks like to have an extraordinary marriage. And I just pray for each and every relationship here. I pray for the single people here, Lord, that they'll know that this is actually possible. And I pray for the married people here that they will know that it's never going to stop taking work. And I ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. I pray that over the course of the last few weeks, you've learned or relearned some practical tools that you can use to make your relationships better. I hope you'll join us next week as we begin gearing up for Easter. Yes, I said Easter. Crazy that it's already that time of year. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his eyes toward you and give you his peace. Have a great day.